we acknowledge the First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. This is the Diaspora Podcast and I am Akashika Mohula. His Excellency Karthik Subramaniam is Acting High Commissioner of India in Australia, Deputy High Commissioner of Australia-designate, and has recently been appointed as the High Commissioner of India to Fiji, including adjoining Pacific Islands in the West Pacific region like Oak Islands, Tonga et al. Dedicated to India, the career diplomat shares highlights of the trusted, genuine and the most revered friendship of India and Australia. His Excellency also shares the upcoming India-Australia negotiations, the opportunities, the gaps and the diaspora, immigration, trade and investment, his views on Australian politics, the foreign policy and how the commitment of the two Commonwealth nations is getting deeper on the matters of terrorism, trade war, marine underbelly, cyber attacks and much more. His Excellency also talks about his upcoming assignment along with many other messages that I'm sure you would love to listen. Before we go any further, here is Your Excellency. Your Excellency, for your time and all the effort that's gone in the Australia-India relations. It's such a delight to be here with you today in Canberra, your abode, which you're soon leaving. Share with us, you've seen it all with India-Australia as the Deputy High Commissioner and currently as the Acting High Commissioner of India, representing the world's biggest democracy that protects national interests, immigration issues, trade, uh, treaties, conventions, strategic agreements, and above all, information, which is so vital these days. How has the whole ride been? Thank you, first of all, for you know, taking our time during this particularly challenging time to visit us in Canberra. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Akashika. And uh, yeah, with regard to my stint here in Canberra, I don't think you know it could have been better. The last three years have been fantastic. I mean, say for the pandemic, been a challenge in the last one year plus. But uh, I mean, if you look at the bilateral part, the bilateral relations, I mean, uh, there has been a major transformation in the last three years. And I am uh, very grateful. And uh, also, I mean, I consider myself uh, very lucky to be part of this, you know, team uh, that was involved in uh, taking this relationship uh, to this height. Of course, I mean, it, it is uh, an effort of a whole team. I mean, uh, teams here in Canberra, teams in Delhi, and it would not have it goes without saying it would not have happened without uh, the guidance and encouragement and uh, no, I mean coming right from the top to, you know, and, and flowing down to the lowest functional unit. So just happy that, like, you know, I mean, we could uh, play a small part in this uh, transformation. It's been massive transformation. I mean, Delhi-Canberra relations have amplified. And uh, I still remember when you had just joined in, they had gone stagnant. And then straight away, we started seeing it amplifying again. No, it's not <laughs> that simple. I mean, so... well, I don't think, I mean, it was stagnant. I mean, that's not the right word, perhaps. But I mean, uh, again, and to look at the positive side, I mean, there's been a dramatic transformation. See, I mean, imagine at the height of the pandemic in June 2020, like, you know, after like, you know, two planned visits of Prime Minister Morrison to Delhi, 
didn't happen, one for the bushfire, the one for uh, the pandemic-related reasons. Still, despite all that, you know, the leadership on both the sides gave their highest focus to this relationship. It's on the you know, front line of a relationship on both sides. You know, India considers Australian relationship to be one of the topmost, and likewise, I believe, is the case here in Canberra. So, you can imagine the virtual leadership summit happening in June 2020 amidst raging pandemic and, like, you know, it's not just a virtual kind of a summit. It is, uh, it's a summit of historic, you know, proportion and uh, we'll measure that by the very substantive outcomes, you know, solid outcomes that came out of the virtual leadership summit. The joint statement that elevated our relationship uh, to a, a comprehensive strategic partnership. I mean, uh, I, I don't think it can get better than that. And of course, uh, there are uh, eight more, you know, solid outcomes that came along with this, like a mutual logistic supply arrangement, the framework agreement on cyber cooperation and, you know, cyber enabled critical technologies the mou in the area of critical and strategic minerals and you know i'm always covering the area of public administration you know water management you know i mean a number of areas i mean it doesn't stop there but told you that uh, this uh, vls happened in june even if you look at the subsequent months i mean it is it's not been a quiet thing i mean there's a lot of work that's going on uh, as a follow-up to this historic summit and uh, in in about a week's time perhaps i mean we will also be having probably uh, the foreign minister's visit to india and uh, the holding of the foreign minister's framework dialogue that's yeah and and, and this brilliant. is just the High-level engagement I'm talking about. Right. There are end number of uh, functional engagements that has been happening, very critical ones, because all this vision and uh, the, you know, I mean, platform, the landscape, the canvas that is provided at the, at the higher level. I mean, we need to ensure that, you know, the implementation part is carried out in a digital way. So that we have been doing, uh, we have been doing end number of, you know, I mean, uh, joint working groups on matters like counterterrorism, on matters like critical and strategic minerals and uh, disarmament dialogue, which happened, you know, a couple of weeks back and uh, also on both the sides of our you know, policy uh, sections you know, policy planning divisions have been having their first dialogues and at the higher level also if you look at it after the june summit we have had our commerce ministers joining course with japan to come up with that supply chain resilience initiative which is a very timely initiative in this circumstances we find ourselves in and all those things i mean with other friendly partners uh, like france japan and you know, other countries in fact we were also planning I mean, to have a trilateral in Delhi oh, lovely. in the coming weeks. Perhaps when Foreign Minister Mary Spain is there in Delhi, right? there's a chance that we would be having a trilateral with our countries uh, like France or Indonesia. Very well. I understand Secretary John Kerry is already in India. And, 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 on, the, and on the economic side also, I mean, we have just started the discussions on early harvest agreement. Oh, lovely. Yes. This this is a kind of a precursor to uh, the Comprehensive Economic Cooperation Agreement. It's it's a it's a our bilateral FTA, but we are we are looking at an early harvest so that like you know I mean we can make some quick progress in a limited time frame and then further build on that full fledged bilateral. Fantastic. I mean, it's so nice to actually see that uh, Canberra's trust with New Delhi friends has really solidified in these times. So tell me more, Your Excellency. Have you traveled much in Australia during your time? And your, you know, did you get any chance to learn about the world's oldest civilization? What about the outback? No, uh, I have had uh, some chances to travel in Australia, but unfortunately, like I had lots of plans in 2020 also. It got unraveled by the pandemic 
pandemic, but uh, my work has taken me to many places in Australia. But uh, going back, exploring the interior part and uh, looking at the outback, I mean, it was there on my plans in 2020. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen because of the pandemic and the travel restrictions that came with it. But it's, it's a beautiful country and uh, uh, I really feel, me and my family, we feel very privileged and lucky that we got a chance uh, through the government of India to serve in this beautiful place and get to know the people, the culture in, in, a, in a more you know intimate way. But of course, I mean, uh, it goes without saying that three-year period is, uh, you know, too small a period, short a period to kind of, you know, travel around this continental, you know, I mean, country and get to know things intimately. But uh, I'm happy for what, you know, uh, whatever opportunity I've got. Uh, but I do look forward because I'm going to the neighboring uh, countries only, uh, country only. So uh, there will be chances perhaps like in future also to plan a slightly uh, longish kind of holiday just for the purpose of, you know, traveling in the outbacks and How getting lovely. to know things, you know when things get better. That's brilliant. Absolutely. And have you been following Australian politics? Of course. I mean, it goes without saying it's part of our job. I mean, uh, <laughs> we are here to, you know, I mean, uh, promote uh, relations, our national interests here. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, do it in, 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 in a symbiotic way. Where there is like, you know, I mean, benefits on both the sides. And as part of that, like, you know, of course, we do kind of, you know, we keenly look out for the political landscape and uh, it's, it's, yes, it's part of a job. That's, that's, that's an important task. And, uh, you know, with the upcoming federal election in Australia, what do you think, you know, you can choose to be diplomatic again on this, Your Excellency? But I'd really like to know if there is a swing in the federal politics, let's say we have Mr. Anthony Albanese who wins the election, what would be the main changes in Australian foreign policy in the war against pandemic, isolationism, and India particularly, that would need to be addressed? Mm -hmm. See, I said, like, you know, we are you know, I mean, interested in looking at the political landscape of Australia. I mean, uh, and, and we do engage with, you know, I mean, uh, interlocutors on both the sides, primarily with the government. But like, you know, obviously, like, you know, any, any, any free democracy like in Australia, I mean, we do engage with interlocutors, friends from across the political spectrum. But I would not really like to get into the politics of it because it's none of my job. I mean, it's for the Australians to decide what they want to do. But uh, suffice it to say that, you know, I mean, uh, irrespective of who is going to be in power, I mean, this applies to India as well. I mean, whether it's in India or in Australia, irrespective of who is actually in power, our relationship is so special that, like, you know, uh, uh, I, I don't think, you know, it will uh, lose its, you know, preeminence and focus uh, it is getting from the leadership on both the sides. So whatever happens, I mean, uh, whoever is there in the saddle, I mean, this relationship is bound to go from strength to strength. That that is the special thing about India-Australia relations. Definitely, and and if you look at the global landscape, as we are talking about the Indian-Australian landscape, it's very interesting to also see, you know, how India has actually emerged as a genuine trusted partner than a dominating partner, as we've seen the world evolve in this uh, pandemic. So going back to the Modi-Morrison comprehensive partnership, the hard yards that went behind, of course, uh, you know it best than anyone else. In these times of uncertainty, do you think the world needs stability? I mean, India and Australia, like we're just talking, have grown so closer as trusted, genuine partners. How do you think this partnership can be sustained for the longer good for the world? I'm glad you asked this question. Uh, see, uh, this last one year plus during the global pandemic, it has uh, taught us something, you know, very basic. Uh, 
trust is the most important currency in the world of today and and in in moments like this i mean we look out for you not know, reliable trustworthy partners and i think i mean uh, there can be no better example of uh, such a close trustworthy partnership than india and australia i mean if you uh, look at the bigger picture even uh, during the pandemic when everybody was like you know i mean focusing inward and like you know i mean uh, trying to shut down from the rest of the world and like you know looking at their own you know core interest i mean it is understandable to ne- to an extent but like you know i mean uh, they were really going to the extreme but india was the only country which was like doing its you know best as as a responsible you know i mean a player in in the, in the world stage to help out you know the world you know during this you know global pandemic see we are part of humanity and we have to play our role i mean uh, nobody is safe in this uh, situation unless everyone is safe i think i think uh, our own kind of you know i mean uh, traditional outlook where we look at the world as as a, as as a humanity uh, as one was devakudumbakam and uh, we have another saying in tamil also called yadumore yavrum keli it essentially means that you know everyone is your uh, relative in the world and uh, whatever place you are in it's your own place that is a kind of an approach that kind of guides our world vision and during the worst of the pandemic also we made sure that you know all this critical medicines drugs pharmaceuticals and Uh, personal protection equipments we sent to 150 countries more than 150 countries including to australia and this has continued even after the the development of uh, vaccines you know india is the pharmacy to the world i mean we have uh, some of the uh, largest you know i mean uh, vaccine manufacturers in fact we produce 60% of the vaccines you know are used in the world and it's quite natural that we play uh, you know i mean a leading role in a situation like this so when we started our domestic vaccination program in jan i think it started on the 16th of jan and our uh, our uh, vaccine maitri project vaccine friendship project under which we are you know i mean sending uh, vaccines critical vaccines uh, covid-19 vaccines to uh, friendly countries i mean uh, we started that on if i'm not wrong on 19th or 20th of jan within a couple of days after we started domestic vaccine administration i think till date we must have shared exported or given us grant to more than 80 countries in the world and uh, more than uh, 70 million vaccines and and uh, if you look at the number of vaccines that have been administered in india till a couple of days back it was less than what we actually shared with the rest of the world right. that shows the kind of a responsibility we undertook you know i mean unlike many other countries which are looking inward Mm-hmm. in this moment we truly uh, truly kind of you know played a role you know global role and and uh, we will continue to do that in the in the in the days and months to come i was mostly impressed to see how india extended its vaccine maitri friendship to even the aggressive neighbors vaccine provided to pakistan and out of humanity factor that you are talking about which is very very interesting so times are changing the waves are changing the winds are changing many congratulations on your upcoming new assignment as the high commissioner of Fiji this is absolutely stellar we cannot wait to see the changing relationships in the western pacific and share with us if you have any first 100 day plan when you land there your excellency first of all i mean to respond to your query on vaccine maitri to neighboring countries as india doesn't make any you know i mean distinction between this type of country in that i mean uh, whoever is in need i mean uh, we try to help them out 
if you look at it, I mean, uh, Prime Minister Modi had convened, you know, and a meeting of uh, the SARC leaders, and uh, even during the immediate, you know, I mean, a few months after the onset of the global pandemic, and we had made our contribution to the uh, fund that was uh, instituted for this purpose. And after the vaccine was uh, developed, uh, we had also made sure that you know our uh, immediate neighborhood countries uh, got the priority, and uh, we we had I believe uh, made an offer to all countries, including you know I mean the country you mentioned. Uh, it depends again on on the response. I mean, it we can only do you know I mean that I mean to extend a hand of friendship, but it's up to the other side to you know make the use of best use of it. Uh, but we are we are we're quite open, and uh, these eighty countries, I mean, uh, countries which are big, small, you know, in the neighborhood, away, beyond. I mean, it happens. And now you talk about Fiji. In fact, uh, last week, I do not know whether we are aware, we had uh, uh, handed over hundred thousand doses of COVID vaccines made in India to My Fiji. God. This yes. is a bilateral one, not the COVAX facility. Right. And, and uh, we would also be aiming doing it for the Pacific Island countries also shortly. That's brilliant. Yeah. So, so I mean, now coming to Fiji, yes, of, uh, thank you so much for your greetings and uh, wishes. Uh, it's, it's really nice of you. Uh, I am looking forward uh, to my next assignment in Fiji. And uh, it, it's, uh, I am, Fiji-India relationship, you know how it is. I mean, uh, it is, it is an historic relationship dating back to 1879, when uh, uh, the first Indian laborers arrived under the indentured labor system to work in the sugarcane plantations. And since the history continues, I think uh, we have now a situation where, like, I think almost 40% of uh, uh, the entire population of uh, Fiji, I think, uh, are of Indian origin. And it's just one component. I mean, uh, it's not the only component of our relationship. Uh, we have a very strong, you know, development partnership program with Fiji. Even before the pandemic, I mean, there has been a lot of activities going on. Uh, I do not know whether you remember the historic number 2014 visit of Prime Minister Modi to yes. uh, Australia. At the same time, he also visited Fiji. And, and and uh, it was a milestone. It was a watershed moment in our relationship, uh, not just with Fiji, but also with other Pacific Island countries. Mm -hmm. Because uh, we uh, we established, I mean, uh, the FIPIC Forum India Pacific Island Friendship uh, Country uh, Pacific Island Countries, and uh, we have had I think uh, three iterations of uh, FIPIC till now, wow. and uh, we were actually like you know planning to have the third one. I mean, uh, we had first one in Suva, second one in uh, Jaipur in 2015. I think the third one was being planned last year, but I think kind of got delayed because of the pandemic but i mean uh, india has a very strong uh, focus on uh, pacific island countries and incidentally uh, from suva mm -hmm. i would also be concurrently accredited to six more countries oh, in, including uh, cook islands uh, kiribati nauru tonga tuvalu and vanuatu oh, so fantastic. all the all these countries i mean uh, we we have an extensive ongoing development partnership program I am not going with any fixed kind of, you know, 100 days program or anything. I mean, I'm there to build on the excellent good work that has been made by my, you know, I mean, uh, predecessors before. Go with an open mind. Uh, but uh, there is immense opportunity to, you know, I mean, uh, to further strengthen this relationship for the benefit, for the mutual benefit of both the countries. 
I am looking forward to doing my bit uh, and, and I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, Your Excellency, you know, I, I really feel that India's relations with the Pacific Cook countries and the island countries is very special. And you're absolutely right mm. with 40% Fijian Indian population. It's going to be a terrific journey. We can't wait to see how it all evolves. <laughs> so many Australians have shared their deep interest in spending more time in India, you know, studying, working, traveling, even with COVID-19. People are still very keen to go for the Pushkar uh, Mela and, you know, go to the beaches around Kerala and really understand so much more about the incredible India. Do you think there would be anything evolving for Australians, perhaps on a working holiday visa style, like how we will have the Indians being able to use that as well. Perhaps Australian universities investing in India and mapping talent students for potential permanent residency or Australian citizenship options. You know, that will be such a beautiful exchange. Any opportunities as such? Uh, In general, people-to-people linkage, I mean... uh gives uh, the the vigor and vitality to any relationship. And uh, we are very lucky that, you know, I mean, uh, thanks to this uh, 700,000, you know, Indian diaspora in Australia, we have such a, a strong kind of, you know, I mean, uh, base for taking this relationship forward. And uh, we are looking uh, constantly at, you know, kind of, you know, trying to uh, widen uh, this, you know, people-to-people contacts. It, it it can take on multiple dimensions, increasing the connectivity and uh, making the movement uh, process smoother on both the sides. Uh, thank, I mean, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, I mean, uh, there has been a bit of an issue in the last one year plus. But uh, we are working, I mean, to strengthen these people-to-people linkages. And, uh, I mean, I would not be able to share, I mean, all the details uh, here, but... Uh, uh, I can I can mention that uh, one of the proposals that we are having currently uh, and it's under consideration is the mobility and migration agreement. Uh, like India has signed one with uh, France. I mean, we also are uh, considering and uh, in fact our proposed a mobility and migration agreement, mm-hmm. which will help in kind of a, a smooth orderly kind of you know I mean uh, movement mobility to facilitate mobility of uh, professionals and also students mm-hmm. on both the sides. Right. And coming to opportunities for Australian universities in India, I think the new educational policy that was announced in India, mm-hmm. I think it was after 30 years, I think the previous education policy was in 86 or so. Right, I think it was, it was more than 30 years, actually, 35 odd years uh, it was announced. This gives an opportunity for like, you know, I mean, attracting world-class Australian universities to set up establishments in India. Uh, this was it's not brilliant. there before. So for the first time, this kind of, you know, I mean, uh, uh, provision and uh, this uh, possibility is there. And uh, we uh, do look forward and we do hope that, you know, I mean, some of the world-class institutions here will look at it, you know, closely and uh, make the best of the opportunity. That's brilliant news because with the pandemic, what we can see, Australia, particularly, you know, really missing that vibrant diaspora coming and studying here and i'm sure the diaspora is missing being here as well yeah we are also looking at you know i mean uh, the revival of a regular and more assured connectivity because right now i mean uh, we are seriously handicapped by 
at the you know i mean very very limited kind of you know i mean uh, connectivity we have and uh, as you may be knowing i mean there are more than 100000 indian students here enrolled in australian higher education right. institutions and uh, quite a few of them had gone back home and not uh, in a position to come back and uh, experience that on campus kind of you know experience of yes. australian education uh, which they paid for so so uh, there is a lot of expectations from their side and uh, we hope that like you know i mean uh, with the the pandemic you know getting under control here and uh, with the vaccinations being rolled out you know in in a bigger scale now uh, soon there would be opportunities for our uh, students and our nationals to travel uh, and come back to australia we we are looking forward to that i'm sure we all are sir, absolutely yeah. So your experience, you know, talking about university students, let's take a step back to your student life. You know, we've got, we've got so many aspiring students in India, you know, who always want to know what they can do to have that diplomatic run like you have. You know, you've seen your diplomatic charm turn so many negotiations, and your journey has been amazing. So, what would you recommend to a teenager studying somewhere in India as we speak, aspiring to be a diplomat one day? So, if you're looking for a career in uh, diplomacy or in foreign service, you're talking about a teenager in India. So, naturally, like you know, I mean, uh, it would be through the Indian Foreign Service. I mean, uh, uh, a very, uh, you know, I mean, uh, privileged opportunity. I mean, to serve your country and to. Uh, not by the flag of your country and to represent the country it doesn't come easy you need to be prepared for that uh, because uh, with, with this great power comes a lot of responsibilities as well so i mean for someone who is looking at a career in this side i mean uh, they should i believe have uh, some uh, innate kind of you know interest in you know in, in international affairs uh, geopolitics and uh, you know, I mean, uh, diplomacy you just can't trust these things. I mean, if you have a natural interest, I mean, it, it helps you a lot because you need to be immersed and you, know, you need to completely, you know, like enjoy, you know, I mean, doing this uh, to have this as a lifetime profession. And of course, I mean, there are a lot more other things which kind of add immense value uh, to a diplomat, like, you know, your language skills, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you, you are... Um, your your basic manners and like you know I mean your your communication skills you know I mean both written and uh, oral spoken skills and uh, of course are uh, the ability to kind of you know I mean to honestly represent your country and to kind of you know um, find a way out of a tricky kind of situations. These are not like very special to a diplomat. I mean, every day, I mean, people do negotiate, people do diplomacy themselves, you and everyone else does it, but we do it as a career. So it, it helps. I mean, if somebody uh, has this thing and above all, I mean, if someone is curious, curious to kind of, you know, I mean, uh, explore, you know, uh, new places, uh, explore new cultures and uh, i mean is adventurous i think it helps definitely and let's not forget the integrity you know one of the reasons i have so much respect for people in civil services be it here or australia it's for the high patriotism and integrity that's unmatched true that goes without saying you know 
you need people of the highest integrity and you, know, you need to be honest you know, I mean, and you need to be fully committed to the country and to the Perfect. interest you are promoting. So that, that, that goes without saying. I mean, for anyone in, uh, in government service, these are you know, very, very basic kind of qualities. So I, what I was telling you before was in addition to all these things, I mean, so this, these are the foundation stones. Without this, I mean, nobody can think of getting into government service. And uh, as I said, like, you know, I mean, when you're representing your country and your, your flag uh, outside the country in multilateral organizations, multilateral forums, you need to have impeccable you know, character. Uh, that goes without saying. Definitely. And diplomacy is not easy, Your Excellency. I mean, what is the talisman that drives you every day to stay focused and committed in spite of the chaos? Uh, see, I mean, uh, it is, as I said, like a privilege to represent your country and to you know, do it in a foreign country or in a multilateral forum or an organization. That itself is uh, the biggest incentive for you to you know, uh, do it. I mean, uh, not everyone gets an opportunity like that. And uh, the ability to make a difference uh, to uh, you know, your fellow citizen, I mean, uh, uh, the ability to kind of you know uh, shape a global discussions and the ability to promote your national interest in in, in a forum like this you know bilateral or a multilateral forum that uh, is the biggest driver I mean for any on in the in, in the in the diplomatic service I mean how many will get that chance to kind of you know actively involve themselves in shaping up uh, the you know the discourse that is happening in the country in 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 forums like this and uh, to promote that national interest. Very few, you know, I mean, maybe one in a million get an opportunity like this. Definitely. So, so that, that itself is the biggest driver. And of course, the ability that, the very uh, basic notion that you can, you know, by doing your work, I mean, make a difference to the life of a common man in your country. I mean, that gives you a lot of, you know, I mean, Definitely. Uh, to carry forward. Absolutely. So, Your Excellency, I have a question for you from an Australian researcher and one of the unis here who has a foreign policy issues assignment to submit to his vice chancellor. What topic would you suggest? See, I will be uh, selfish in this. I mean, uh, I don't think uh, there is uh, uh, much happening uh, uh, with regard to, you know, I mean, uh, research on India-Australia relations. So I think uh, they can they can tend to focus on that. When you don't look at India, you're missing out one-sixth of the humanity. You have got to understand that. You know? I mean, uh, India, I mean, for many people, I mean, uh, even very well-informed people, sometimes I find uh, they are uh, quite ignorant about the new India. I think uh, they should look at it seriously. Whether there is a student or a businessman or anyone else, I mean, uh, it is in their own interest that they start looking seriously at India. And... Uh, this particular person, when you're saying that a student of international affairs, you know, uh, when he's looking for a subject which is going to be very important in future, I would advise that like they can look at any dimensions of uh, engagement with India, or even a serious look at what's happening in New India. I think that will send them in a good state. The Indian century. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So moving forward, um, conscious of your time, 
you know, tell me a little bit more about India, you know, some examples of Indian investments that we have here in Australia today and how we see Australian investments in India evolving more. Is there enough being done at the moment, do you think? I think uh, economic engagement is uh, one area where I think uh, there is a lot more that can be done. If you look at uh, the potential and uh, the delivery, there is a uh, there is a, there is a big gap between these two mm-hmm. so that way i mean uh, comparing it to our other engagements and progress in you know uh, the political the defense and other areas i mean uh, the economic engagement trade investment i think has been less than uh, what is like actually our potential I mean, mm-hmm. so there's a lot that can be done talking about investments i mean there are there are investments happening on both the sides uh, but we we do think that there is opportunity for much more to happen. Mm-hmm. I do not know whether you are aware very recently also. I think a couple of days back, I think uh, there was a mention about uh, an Indian IT major. Wipro, oh, lovely. Wipro, I mean, uh, investing uh, $117 million to, my God. Uh, to, uh, to acquire an Australian company in the cybersecurity space. Oh, my God. Wow. I think, I think, I think uh, this company is based in Melbourne and uh, a good reputed company and i think uh, there are many such i uh, know uh, commercial uh, engagements uh, happening all the time um we, we we do expect like you know i mean australian investors also to you know take a look at the opportunities in india as as you know i mean uh, we have used in india the pandemic period to bring in major structural changes and transformational reforms in 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 all areas across the economy as i mentioned to you about new education policy yes but there were transformational changes brought about in the labor policy uh, in the labor law and and in uh, bankruptcy code and then like before that you know about the introduction of the gst of course single tax for the entire country and um major renomin uh, liberalization allowed uh, announced in the foreign direct investment area oh wow and uh, major production linked incentive schemes announced mm-hmm. for uh, 10 areas you know which are sunrise areas uh, government of india is promoting in a big way and of course uh, you know about the reforms that were announced in the agricultural sector these are transformational reforms transformational measures i mean this uh, will transform India uh, in in the coming decades and uh, immense opportunities unlocked for investors from across the world. And as somebody who is based in Canberra, naturally I'll be interested and uh, prejudiced towards Australian investments you know, in these areas. These are exciting opportunities. Definitely. If, if you look at the market, if you look at the out- outcome, if you look at the return on investment, uh, these are perhaps uh, some of the best, if not the best in the world. And I see no reason why Australian companies and Australian investors and super funds should not look at this. Already some of them are actually, you know, in, uh, engaged in this areas, like some some uh, private sector funds and like Macquarie is there and like, you know, Australian super also has announced a commitment. They are in, they are in the infrastructural areas. But there is a huge lot of opportunities for other you know, investors also and other funds also. Uh, I don't think uh, there is any country in the world at this stage which offers this kind of uh, you know, I mean, opportunity. 
and for Australia, I mean, to operate in India, I think uh, they would have all these commonalities, you know, to take advantage of besides the complementarities of our economy. So I don't think this kind of a perfect coincidence of, uh, and, and uh, this advantages they would have anywhere else in the world. While we're talking about all these modernizing reforms, COVID-19, evolution, cooperation, our trusted friendships, and all of that, there is a devil uh, you know, that's sitting outside and in between on the water, air and the land uh, where India and Australia and the other neighboring hoods operate. Terrorism, trade war, vaccine hoarders, marine underbelly, cyber attacks, national securities. What are your thoughts? See, I mean, uh, these are, I mean, some of the issues that we have to face, I mean, uh, at this time. And uh, we are uh, aware and we have taken cognizance of all these issues. And uh, if it, when it comes to India-Australia relations, I mean, all these aspects which you looked at, you know, I mean, uh, figure prominently in our, you know, ongoing, you know, I mean, uh, discussions and uh, our ongoing, you know, engagements whether it is terrorism, like, you know, you know better. I mean, uh, India is perhaps uh, the biggest victim of terrorism in the world. And uh, we are uh, quite closely engaged with our friends here in Australia on, on all dimensions of, you know, I mean, uh, this problem. Uh, and, uh, and and likewise with problems uh, in the cyberspace, cybersecurity, and um, marine issues, maritime security, all these are issues that are going to uh, gain more and more prominence in the, in, the, in, the, in the years to come. We are aware of that and uh, we are closely engaged, you know. And uh, interestingly, I mean, our positions on many of these uh, subject matters are uh, quite closely aligned uh, because of our common shared outlook. So I think uh, there's immense opportunity for us to work closer and, you know, and, and, uh, do our bit uh, as as uh, as responsible Definitely. members of the global community. The diaspora is vibrant, fervoring, and there are always those prickly thorns in the garden as well. So, your special message to the diaspora as you move ahead to your next role. Now, as I said, like we are really privileged, and we feel so proud to look at the you know I mean, the immense contributions made by the Indian diaspora here in Australia, and. Uh, to have a 700,000 strong Indian diaspora here who are recognized for their hard work, for their law-abiding nature, one of the highest qualified, you know, I mean, uh, groups, migrant groups, and uh, perhaps the largest and the fastest growing, not the largest, perhaps the fastest growing, you know, migrant group. I mean, they have done amazingly well in this country. We are so happy and proud to see their achievements. Of course, uh, like, you know, I mean, in, in India, I mean, there are diverse voices, opinions on matters. So that doesn't make it like, you know, a prickly thorn as you kind of, you know, chose to uh, describe it. We would certainly not go by that kind of, you know, I mean, uh, nomenclature. We, we uh, value and uh, we respect the contribution of each and every section of the diaspora. And we would continue to wish them all the very best. And in fact, we work very closely with them. I mean, uh, last year particularly has been very, very revealing. I mean, last couple of years, let's say, I mean, uh, whether it was the bushfire, whether it was uh, the pandemic, 
we were happy to see the diaspora community, you know, playing such a stellar role in giving back to the community and in also taking care of, you know, I mean, uh, the stranded Indian nationals and, you know, uh, members of the Indian diaspora who were, you know, I mean, uh, were stranded, but to face yeah. some issues. So, so, I mean, we are very so happy to have uh, the diaspora here and, uh, and we look forward to you know engaging uh, with them very closely. Uh, I have I have a, a small kind of you know I mean uh, announcement to make perhaps uh, using this platform. As you may be knowing, we would be uh, uh, celebrating our 75th year of independence in 2022. So the government of India has decided to celebrate uh, this year as the year of India. Wow. And and this celebrations is going to be done across the world. And mm -hmm. and actually, I mean, uh, this uh, celebrations have actually already started in March, in March 2021. And this will go on up to August 2023. So there will be a lot mm -hmm. of you know, opportunities for, you know, I mean, uh, working closely with the Indian diaspora in celebrating the idea of India, the cele celebrating the idea of new India and the achievements know uh, that all of us can be very proud of you know the path that we have traversed in the last 74 years and the path ahead i mean it gives us immense you know optimism about uh, you know where we will go in the coming years as very important stakeholders in the uh, the idea of india i think diaspora will also have a very important role to play we look forward to engaging with them in a very meaningful way to celebrate this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time and such a privilege to continue.